Good morning, everybody, and welcome to My EdTech Life. We have a wonderful show for you today, and I'd like to thank every single one of you for joining us this morning and, of course, making us part of your morning. So hopefully you're enjoying a great breakfast, you're having a nice cup of coffee, or if you're overseas, you know, maybe you're having a spot of tea for all my friends that are visiting or actually watching from the UK. Thank you, guys, and thank you to all my professional learning family for always being so encouraging and joining us here today. We have an amazing guest. We have Christina Holzweiss, who's joining us from Long Island, New York, and she is an author and international speaker. So we definitely have some great company here on our show today. So Christina, thank you for being here and go ahead and tell our audience members just a little bit more. I just gave a brief intro because I'd like for you to go ahead and share all the amazing things that you're doing. Well, hi, Alfonso. You are just too kind. And it's so nice to be, you know, talking with you this morning. It's about 10 o'clock here in Long Island, New York, and my kids are in the basement. <laughs> They're playing. So I've got peace and quiet, finally. So it's really <laughs> nice to sit here and talk with you. Um, I've been an educator. This is my 25th year of teaching. Wow. Yeah. That um, is awesome. Right? How many years have you been teaching? Uh, well, actually, uh, I've been in education for 15 years now. I did 11 years of teaching and now going on four years as an instructional technologist. Awesome. Um, so I started out as a seventh grade English teacher. Uh, and I did that for nine years. And um, I went back to school for educational technology. But back then in the year 2000, no one was hiring staff developers and educational technologists. Um, I was the first person to use PowerPoint in my school. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my gosh. And I, and I got the little the, the little floppy disks and I put them in all the computers and we would um, create their uh, review games. And then I would take them out at the end of the period and put them back in. And so and in, my, in my English class, I had a laptop, but we had no Wi-Fi. Oh, Go figure. Yeah, they gave us all laptops, but no Wi-Fi. I had no projector. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was teaching HTML just by having the kids copy a piece of paper and using the TV, you know, like a TV monitor to look at. So I would, I would have my uh, co-teacher teach like grammar or things like that. And I would have kids in small groups sitting around my desk and I would show them screenshots on my computer of how they would cite their sources when they went home because we just didn't um, have Wi-Fi and I didn't have any computers except my one laptop. So that's how I began. And so I said, I really love using technology. I really love books. And I really, oh, I'm, I'm going to say hi to Bruce. Um, and I really love um, working with teachers, but I don't want to go into administration. So what is there? Well, being a librarian, well, that's perfect because you have technology, you have books, you connect with all the students in the school, and you connect with faculty. So that's why I became a school librarian for 14 years. And one day I just happened to see there was a position for an ed tech specialist. The, the original certification that I had in 2000. And I would have stayed at my district because I loved it so much being a school librarian, but I saw it as an opportunity. And so I've been there for two years and this is my first time teaching high school, which is very similar to middle school, very different at the same time. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I, when I first started, the, the transition was I went from high school 
to elementary. And oh. so, yeah, from high school to oh. elementary. But you know what? What you learn in high school really sets you up and prepares you for elementary. There were a couple of surprises there. But again, I mean, it's a, the, their learning experience is always great. And of course, what may work up there doesn't work down here. And then, of course, you kind of just have to find your own style and find that niche. And, you know, that's great. So that is great that you you found that great opportunity. And that's always great because sometimes, you know, I, I put I posted up a video yesterday. You know, sometimes we may block ourselves or we may think like, oh, you know, maybe is it the right time or not? But you know, you just got to put yourself out there and sometimes things definitely work out for the best. And, you know, this is really exciting that I get to hear, you know, about your transition and the way that happened. So that's great. So again, let's go ahead and uh, just talk a little bit about here. I know you shared a Wakelet collection with me and I'm going to go ahead and share that here with our guests as well. And if you'd like to share your screen or share anything we can, uh, or, you know, I can go ahead and share that here for you. And Bruce says he does miss the floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> when I was student teaching, I had the big floppy disks. Yeah. <laughs> you real know, floppy ones. <laughs> what, what I what I remember in elementary is when I used to do Oregon Trail and then we'd have the little yes. floppy disks there and pop in <laughs> Oregon Trail. And then, uh, you know, so those were some good times that I remember from uh, elementary there as well. All right. So let me go ahead and I can go ahead and share here your Wakelet collection. And I did put that link here, guys, in the chat. So if you want to go ahead and grab that. And here we go. We got some stuff here. Yeah. And one one of the things that I want to share, too, is that you are an author. So let me go ahead and put this here. And I'm going to go ahead and pop this link in here. But tell us a little bit about the types of books that you author and how you got inspired to, you know, go ahead and put out some uh, literature. Well, and 2015, um, on a whim, I applied for the School Librarian of the Year. I put in an application. You could you could apply on your own, and you can get recommendations. So, um, and I'll tell you, you know, the reason behind that a little later. But I, I on a whim, I said, okay, I'm going to apply, and I won. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> that happened. Um, and I was really stunned. I mean, I found out it was after I returned from ISTE. Um, Kathy Shuka from School Library Journal um, tweeted me and I knew I, I she wanted me to write something up about uh, my experience at ISTE. And I said, oh my gosh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But she's like, no, can you call me? And I'm in, in my, my, my kids are taking swimming lessons. So this is 2015. My kids now are 11, 10 and 8. Um, so back then, what were they? You know, uh, five, six, and whatever. Yeah. And we're in, I'm, I'm drying them off. They just had their swimming lessons. We're in the locker room, and I was like, "Well, let me just take the call." And she tells me, "I win, I won." And I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Um, so because of that, School Library Journal. It's also a Scholastic Award. So Scholastic had reached out to me because one of the reasons that um, one of my um, events on my application was our slime. Now you're like, what is slime? Slime was my vision of to having a non-branded Maker Fair. I know you know mm -hmm. Maker Fair, right? Yes. So um, at that time, they had m major Maker Fairs. They had mini Maker Fairs, mm -hmm. and they had school Maker Fairs, but they didn't have a multi-school Maker Fair. They didn't have you know a whole region of just schools mm -hmm. getting together for a Maker Fair. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have it free. I wanted to have everyone. I wanted to throw a party and have everyone come. Mm -hmm. So it was called Slime. 
Students of Long Island Maker Expo. Ah, nice. I love that. I like that. <laughs> um, so because of the award and because of one of the major reasons I won the award, they had reached out to me to write those um, makerspace books. So I have, uh, if, if you look at Amazon, I do have uh, two sets of makerspace books. Uh, one set, the rookies are um, for like um, maybe first, second, and third grade. And then the true books are for fifth, third, fourth, and fifth grade. And they are uh, with very simple directions. You know, as I as a kid, I would go to the library and I would take all these books off the shelves because I love crafts. Mm -hmm. But the problem was um, my mother was divorced at the time. And so she she was working two jobs. She really didn't have the time to sit there and go through these, you know, make, you know, maker and craft books with me. And my grandparents were immigrants. They came from Ukraine. They instilled in me a, a very important um, respect and love for education, but they couldn't help me because they couldn't read the language. They couldn't drive. They couldn't, they couldn't help me with much except basically be their American dream. You know, my, my father, my grandfather only went up to fourth grade and my grandmother never went to school. My grandfather taught her how to sign her name for her citizenship papers. Wow. So, you know, I was their American dream. That is amazing. That That is an interesting story. So you and I are like in that aspect too, very, very similar, very similar stories as well as, you know, having to, you know, in hindsight, looking back and seeing those obstacles that our parents had to overcome being immigrant parents. And, uh, you know, in your case from the Ukraine, in my case from Mexico, but you know, they, they struggle because they want to, you know, help you out. And like you said, you, you are their American dream. You, you they want to do right by you, but how can they do that? And at that time, I mean, without, I think they did, my parents said, my, my dad only went to first grade. My mom only got to second grade in Mexico. And so struggling to find resources on how to teach you what's right and what's wrong, how to, you know, what, what is the proper way to behave things of that sort of course they instill those values in you, but you know, but now here in America in this culture, how do we go about that? So very interesting stories and things that our parents had to overcome and, you know, look at you now and look at us now. So that's well, great. You know, I think we're products of that, of those values and mm -hmm. that feeling of that you just try and you put in your effort and you just stick to it. Yeah. You know, if my grandfather was here right now, he'd be like, well, you know, you're just going to have to suck it up. You're just going to have to do it and you're going to have to try. And then and and also, how dare I not take advantage of opportunities that my grandparents didn't have? Exactly. How dare I do that in this land of opportunity? Um with technology and education now there are issues with equity out there i will say mm, yes. there are issues with equity but for the most part we we are very fortunate in this country to have so much and how dare i not fulfill that dream exactly no and i agree with you on that on so many aspects so let's go ahead and just continue so now your your grandparents say you know you said you had a, a liking for crafts and things of that right. sort so then you know now you got into this and so tell us a little bit more sure so like so i would take these books from the library mm -hmm. but you know they were difficult that you didn't have i didn't even have like maybe some of the resources around the house or they would say oh 10 easy crafts for kids but they weren't 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yes. You never remember books back then, you know, they weren't, you know, with these flashy, glossy pages with color and, you know, lots of words and directions. And as a kid on your own, trying to be independent, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't do a lot. You didn't have YouTube to cheat with, you know, to find out the, you know, I've used YouTube to learn how to knit. You know, you don't know, yes. you don't know how to do it. So these books are really for kids. Um, there are a lot of the materials are found around the house or they're easy to get. They're not difficult. Um, and kids can sit with their parents and read them and do them, but they could also do them on their own. So it empowers them to be independent learners, to be makers on their own. Um, and I think that's important. So that's why Scholastic had reached out to me. Um, a funny story about the books, the smaller books, the rookie books, all of the pictures in those books, um, there are pictures of someone, you know, you see hands in all the books mm -hmm. and they're making the crafts. That's my, my son. <laughs> uh, my other son did a few of them, but you have to think each book has like three or four projects, mm -hmm. three projects. So 12 in one series and 12 in the other. My sister is a freelance photographer. So we spent hours and days and weeks in her basement photographing Aww. those pictures you know go like this go like this go like this go like this <laughs> and then yeah and then the the larger books um they had someone sketch them so they're uh diagrams uh -huh. but all the other you know like the 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 covers of the books the back you know all those like the promo books promo part of like you know kids playing with the activities they came to my library one day moved everything out of the way and i had my kids and their friends in the books they pho photographed them for the books so it's oh, really wow. it was really like a family project that is, is kind of cool it was kind of cool those are some of the most famous hands now in the family yeah. too, as well and everything. That is great. Now, uh, uh, Christina, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about exactly what uh, Maker Fair or Maker Movement is. For some of our audience members that may not be familiar with the term, can you just give us a little brief overview? I know right now you told sure. us kind of creating, you know, doing stuff on your own. But if you can go just to, through your experience and through your lens, what is a, a Maker Movement? You know, I find it right now that, you know, the pendulum swings back and forth mm -hmm. and, <clears throat> excuse me, the maker movement, I really think is, you know, we, we think of things as, as trends and buzzwords, but the maker movement has been around since the dawn of time, since the very per first person made fire. That is the maker movement. You find a problem and you try to develop a solution. And so when you know, maker movement for me growing up was going into my grandparents' garage and just grabbing a hammer and nails and tinkering. It was going into my grandmother's sewing room and grabbing some fabric and some needle and thread. The maker movement is a movement of people. It's not a movement of things. It's a movement uh -huh. of people. So right now there is a huge maker movement going on. If you look in some Facebook groups and on Twitter, what are people making right now? Well, they're making a difference because they're making PPE. They're either 3D printing the straps or they're making face shields or they're sewing masks. My friend, Melissa Tom is actually, going, we're going to have a, a presentation, a little webinar uh, in a few weeks. And she's what she's doing is she's sewing masks and whenever you, you you buy one of the masks, she takes the first amount of the money and she uses that for the supplies. And whatever's left over, she purchases books to donate. Oh, okay. So she's giving back in, in more than one way. She's giving back by having people, you know, buy the mask and being safe. And she's also donating the, the profits to uh, spreading literacy.
So that's the maker movement. It is truly finding a problem uh, and making a solution. So places like Instructables is a great website where people are making things. It's tinkering. You know, my grandfather, he had a belt and he must have fixed it like three times with duct tape because you know what? He came from the he came from a place of you don't throw things away. He came from that time of being very frugal and fixing things. He came from a world where you didn't, it, it wasn't just disposable. You mm -hmm. do what you had to do. And I tell you, when my grandparents passed away, my grandparent, my grandmother passed away in 2000, my grandparent, my grandfather passed away in 2006. They didn't leave much, but my grandfather left a suitcase full of zippers and my grandmother left jars and jars of buttons. And that's what I remember. It was just going around and tinkering. And I think our kids need to do that now. My kids have been in front of the computer screen for months. I love technology. I adore it. But I really wish there was more balance because I like my kids to tinker. You know, my, my son loves making stop animation movies. He's using technology, but he's making something. Yeah. You know, my son just got this huge Lego set and he's making, you know, Batman. Um, I, I want my kids to have hands-on experiences because when you feel that physicality, there's more of a connection. It's almost like, you know, handwriting. You feel the connection yes. with learning to your head. And to in, in, my, in my wakelet, you'll see a bunch of ideas that people can make things with their hearts and donate them. So especially now, again, the maker movement is huge because we're trying to find solutions to our problems. Yes, and I agree with you. I think that there there's something to be said about that uh, that tactile, uh, the you know, just being able to feel something. And I know for uh, you know for myself, you know, being a, a reader, uh, a lot of my classmates say, "Why why are you purchasing the books? You can find them online, and you can do that." <laughs> No. And I said, I know I can. And then, but the thing is, is like, I, I can't, like you said, it's that connection. Like I love to buy my books. I love to flip through the pages, highlight, underline, because like you said, it's that connection from hand to mind to brain and everything's connecting. And you're really internalizing the concepts because on a screen, it, it just, it, it's, you just don't have that touch. Now I'm not saying that that's bad. I mean, there's people that can learn that way, but I'm just one of those that I'm multimodal learner. Like I got to touch it. I got to see it. I got to feel it. And, and just, e even if it smells like that new book smell, yes. oh my goodness, oh my gosh. that new book smell. I, I just got a shipment <laughs> of books now for, for my new courses that I'll be taking in the fall. And they just came in and I'm just dying to open them. And then I just get that fresh new book smell and just start, you know, going through them and everything. But it, it really, you know, growing up I, the same way, you know, at home, you know, we didn't have like I said, growing up, maybe at the same time we, we both grew up, not a lot of tech. You just kind of, I just had to go and tinker. My mom was a seamstress for years, self-taught seamstress. So where we lived, it was a, a citrus farm where my dad worked and he was uh, there, the kind of like the, the ranch hand, uh, I guess you can call it. And so my mom was a seamstress and then so she would fix you know, the the jeans for the, the workers there, dresses for the wives, do some hems a little bit of zipper work, things of that sort. So uh, I grew up with spools and spools of yarn yes, and, and yes. thread and then buttons and, yes. uh, you know, and then what I would do is since uh, it was there was a little uh, garage there 
for all the tractors and all the workers, I would go and sneak into that garage. I mean, I'm like five years old. And I mean, you're talking, they have grinders. They've got all sorts of sharp stuff and things <laughs> and we that were are very okay. dangerous. And we were yes. okay. <laughs> and we were okay. And they were dangerous. And I'd go in there. My mom, like, she wouldn't know that I kind of snuck out the house. But of course, it was a ranch. It was everything was enclosed. So, you know, my mom was working. I'd say, I'm going to go outside. But I'd make my way over there. And then I'd get those hammers and, you know, and just have so much fun being creative and, you know, getting my hands dirty on that and just coming back and saying, look, mom, look what I built. Mira lo que hice con esto. And my mom's like, ay, mijo. And, you know, just like shocked. And, you know, but it, it was a great time because it was everything was hands on. And today, you know, there there is a lot of hands on activity. One, some of the favorite things that I got to do when I was still in the classroom was I would implement technology, but it was more of the hands-on technology too, where I, thanks to Donors Choose and thanks to our parent oh, support yes. that we had there, uh, I've got some Makey Makey kits. Mm -hmm. So we would it, we would use the Makey Makey kits for our science class and our labs. So then we would tie that to scratch. So then I would tell students, I was like, hey, you know what? L let's go ahead and I want you guys to come up with a program to show me if something is magnetic or non-magnetic so you can do it on scratch. But, you know, we're going to go ahead and bring in physical objects and items and see if they work. Um, I remember one day I saw a project uh, that they did there on the Makey Makey webpage where it would do measuring. So we we put in some uh, um, some paper clips. Everything was done with paper clips and things that we had. So the kids made it, you know, as they poured water in there. The Makey Makey kit would do its readings into the scratch program and tell you the bottle is at one fourth, the bottle is at one half. So we're introducing the math, we're introducing the science, we're introducing the programming, but we also have the hands on maker approach, problem solving, things of that sort. And those students just, you know, had a had a blast. I mean, it we weren't going off of the curriculum pathway. Right. We were just tying everything in together, just, you know, uh, cross curricular in a cross-curricular way. So I, I really have seen firsthand what, you know, having that uh, hands-on approach has. And even with tying it to, to technology, everything doesn't have to be just on the computer, you know, you right. can tie things in together. And so I think that that's great. And so I really encourage a, a lot of our teachers and students and anybody that may be looking or watching us today, I really encourage you to try and tie some of those things in. I, I know that our curriculum sometimes is very strict, but there's ways that you can implement those things where you're touching on several uh, units that you may be going over, several things that have to be covered, for example, in our TEKS, but you're bringing them in in one great project that is hands-on and it's going to be fun. And the students will remember that learning because they'll remember the experience. So exactly. that's what I love. So I, how, tell us a little bit about that, like the experiences that you've seen <laughs> from your students as they, you know, do these projects. Well, I, I'm going to tell you how, what exactly what happened with my children this, this time uh, during these months, I was getting, I was getting upset. I was getting upset. They were constantly on the screen. Um, and I one of my goals was to become Makey Makey certified. And so I saw that Tom Heck was doing a pilot yes. and they were doing it online. And I said, perfect, because I've been wanting to go, but I could never get the time to go. So I applied for it, got into it, and it was fabulous. It was a boot camp. It was a, over a couple of days and it was a lot of work because we had to write an instructable. So if you go on the instructables and find my name, my sister, and I've never had a Lego set. 
I've never had a Lego kit my, of my own. So my sister got me one that was a pop-up book. So I actually made the pop-up book and then I had it when it, when you move the different figures, it would talk. And that was my final project. And so that's up on Instructables. But, you know, I, I, I share all these things with my students, but, you know, I don't know everything. I, you know, a lot of kids learn on their own. And I finally got the feeling of what it was like to learn. And Tom Heck was a phenomenal teacher. And so my kids, my one son likes to code. So I had him show me how to use Scratch with the Makey Makey. My daughter did like, you know, uh, she made like the little uh, drawing and then we used the pencil and we used the Makey Makey. And then my other son had to do a project on Louisiana. And so he was one of the one of the assignments was to make the stamp of make his own mm -hmm. his own stamp and explain it. So we made an interactive poster with the Makey Makey. So it was it was a time where I actually got to be a kid yes. and I got to interact with my kids. Yes. So I, I, they taught me. I love that. You know, that right there, that right there to me is one of the most memorable experiences that I had as a teacher in the sense of oftentimes, you know, we teach or students will see us as those subject matter experts, like we know everything. And sometimes as teachers, we we like to say or feel like, yeah, we know everything. But one of the best things and one of my most memorable learning experiences was learning from my students because I was, all, I'm, I'm a big thinker. I, I always, I, my wife says, you know, you, you really go above and beyond. Like when you think that you can find a solution, just a simple, you want to take that simple solution, but make <laughs> it better. And you add so many layers because to me, I, I feel like there, there's so many ways to view things. So with me, when I started integrating technology, I think it, it was my, my fifth year at this particular school, elementary, I started introducing some coding and some of the scratch coding. Now, I didn't know anything about it. I learned a little bit. So what I did is I took the little that I had and just shared it with my students. And then my students were just great. Some of them were like, oh, I got this. And so they started doing things and I was learning from them. So the first class came in, I kind of gave them like, here's the little that I know, but let's go ahead and tie it into the curriculum. And they would go to town. I would learn from them. So my second class would come in. And now I'm looking like a lot, <laughs> like an expert. And then by the time the third class came in, man, I was like, here, guys, let's go ahead and do this. And, and we would take it to another level. But I think that that's something that's very important, that sometimes we have that attitude of the sage on the stage. And then when we're that guide on the side, but actually take part of the learning with our students, something magical happens. And I got to experience that my last five years. And those are the most memorable five years that I've had in teaching where I'm learning with my students and they're engaged because we're a team, we're a community. And it's just not me, you know, here you go, consume this, consume this, consume this, but no, let's be, uh, you know, producers. Let's go ahead and produce some learning artifacts. Let's go ahead and create and do all of those things. And I, I think that that's something that you touched on that I think could resonate. It resonates for a lot of educators and maybe for some that may be struggling and seeing like, you know, let's build some community. 
when you take part of the learning with your students, it, it really builds that community. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up and it, that really resonates with me. Well, a lot of teachers will come because now I'm an ed tech librarian. So I, in, I help teachers integrate technology into their lessons. So I am not the traditional librarian of, you know, the, the books and the processing and, and circulation and book talks. I'm more of the techie librarian part. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I feel like, you know, when, when they, my kids teach me something and also when I learn from other teachers on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, and I find something, I love that feeling of I've learned something. I love that feeling. And so I want my kids to feel like that. So right now I'm teaching a virtual maker camp. Um, I was asked on a Tuesday if I could start on one on a Wednesday. And I'm, I'm one of those people that I, I will try anything. And uh, I will say yes more often than I say no. And I'm like, sure, I could do that. I'm like, how am I going to do this? So what, what's my go-to? I went to Wakelet. Oh, oh and it's always, it was on architecture, by the way. So oh. let's teach architecture the very next day. Okay. With kids I've never met before virtually. And they've got paper and pencils and glue and scissors at home. Okay. So what I do, I went on Wakelet, I created a Wakelet, um, I'm still adding to it, I'm adding resources, and so I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it with a Wakelet, but now how can I just, that, that's, a, that's a resource, but now I want to have, oh yeah, that's my project. Yes. That took forever, it took forever, but I'm very proud of it. Yeah, so I, I want to thank uh, Diana, Diana Wendell, she, I guess maybe on Facebook, or she looked oh. it up. So she put it in the comments. So I just kind of popped it up here. And just to share that with you. So sorry to interrupt. Uh, oh, no. you know, you're saying, but like I said, this is what we were talking about. And this is on Instructables. And I did pop that link in there um, on that. So that's wonderful. All right. Thank so go you. ahead. Yeah, you're telling us about your project. So I'm really oh. excited, too, because I'm, I feel the same way as you were. I'm not sure how it's going to work yet, but we're going to make it happen. <laughs> I'll figure it out. I mean, I'll figure it out. So I was like, well, now I have the Wakelet. That's great. But what's the lesson? What's the lesson? So I've been using Nearpod at work, but I used Nearpod on my own. I looked at my account. My personal account was 2012. But I didn't have Nearpod in my former district, so I really didn't use it that often. Um, and in my new district, I am using my, my teacher account. So I said, let me go back to that. Let me see what that's all about. So I went to Nearpod and I created a, I used the virtual field trips because they have yeah. great images. And so I, I put those in for, you know, um, and actually this is my wakelet if anyone wants to look at it, my Nearpod. So it has um, images, you know, all around the world and I put them in an order and I, I started seeing patterns myself that towers are very popular. Pyramids are very popular. Palaces. And I started showing kids that there were connections between like St. Basil's Cathedral with the, with the onion domes to the Taj Mahal. And my kids were finding connections. So that was one part of it. And then I, I love Buncey. So I threw Buncey in there and had the kids research a a, a structure or a monument and have them create their own Buncee. And then the next part was uh, a Nearpod actual package lesson about structures and architecture. I took that, I took a few things out, like, you know, like the filler slides. Um, and then I put in the wakelet with all the, pro with all the resources. And then I th threw in a flip grid at the end for the kids to respond. And, you know, it's a very small group, but I had a, a seven-year-old in Chicago. She'd never used Tinkercad before. 
And I said, oh, just try out Tinkercad. Next thing you know, she's showing me, she's sharing her screen. She's showing me what she made in Tinkercad. I'm like, oh my gosh, with the little blocks. Yeah. I'm like, this is amazing. So I'm learning from the kids how to be a better teacher. Yes. And I think that that's great that you touch on that too, because I mean, we can learn from them because they're the ones that are giving us the feedback. So that way you can mold your lessons, adapt and overcome. If there are any obstacles, see what may work. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned too, is that, that it's okay to fail in front of them, you know, because they see that, oh, wow. Okay. You know, things don't go right. And then you just go to plan B and they see like, okay, you know, you adapt and overcome. And that's always been my motto. And so then the students, you know, I would have that happen in the classroom where I'd be teaching something and then something would just go wrong. And then they'd be like, it's okay, Mr. Mendoza, adapt and overcome. We got this. Aww. Let's go. And then they just kind of remind me and they'd say, hey, how about we try this? And it, it's just magical, you know, and again, you just learn from them. And I think that's been so one of the, the some of the best experiences. And even now as an instructional technologist, you know, learning from the teachers and seeing things from the teacher lens and no longer working with students, you know, that all that can only help improve anyone's practice as well. Because in the end, we want to make sure that those tools and the learning that's taking place is also going to end up in the hands of the students and, you know, everybody can be connected there as well. So that's something that's wonderful. And I love that you shared that. And I did share your wakelet there again. Yeah, and uh, that way we can do that. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm really excited. Yeah. Like I'm really pumped up with this conversation because like you said, a lot of uh, the students, they really get inspired. And, you know, like you said that that one particular student that just, you know, mm -hmm. took Tinkercad and they just go off on it, you know, Many students learn in different ways, and sometimes I think we we forget that it's it's not a unimodal world where students all learn the same. It's multimodal. So when you give them options, when you give them a choice, and you yes. give them a voice in their learning, just throwing in some Flipgrid uh, lingo there, yep, giving yep. student voice and choice, and amplify student voice. You know, you're still going to get that learning artifact. You're still going to be able to see if students are. Um, understanding what you're teaching and things of that sort. And so some of the memories that I had as well is, you know, we would do a lot of our projects were project-based learning and with social studies and science, it really uh, lent itself to that just because those were the two subjects that I taught, but I know that you can bring it into all subjects. So a lot of the times it was me giving the students a rubric and a choice to say, okay, in class, you can either do a Google slide presentation which you will present in front of the class. Uh, if you'd like, you can go ahead and do your own little research and do like a screencastify, um, you know, where you do an explanation or you create a tutorial for some of, for the class, for our units. And, it, but they all had a little specific rubric. And then, so you saw that students that felt more comfortable with group presentations, they would go up there. Then you had the other students that were more like, I want to do it on screencastify. But then what you started seeing is you started seeing that community be built in where they're like, hey, you know, come join our group and come be part of our group. And then everybody has a little, you know, place within the project where maybe somebody's not a great speaker. So they'll be the ones recording. Maybe somebody is, uh, you know, whatever it is that they're good at, they would go ahead and put their part in there. And it was just something that's great. And they, they just take off from there. And so I just wanted to share that because it kind of goes along those lines where the students just 
they get excited and I love that they get excited. <laughs> well, listening to you speak, it really, we're talking about technology, we're talking about the maker movement, but we're also transitioning now to social emotional learning because when kids feel good about their learning, they feel mm -hmm. good about themselves. Yes. We have to give them the opportunities to fail and the opportunities to sail. You know, second attempt at learning. We ah, have to, second go. attempt at learning. Yeah, we have we have to give them structure. We have to give them choice. We have to give them balance, but we have to support them so they can have. Um, it's not that feeling of failure. It's a feeling of just not quite yet. You know, that growth mindset. And again, yes. it's also like you and I, when we were growing up, so if the hammer, we hit the nail and it didn't go in the wood, right? We, we get another hammer. We would do something else. I don't know. We, we, we would try. We yeah. were we were okay with ex experimenting. You know, we were yes. tested on it. It was play. It was fun. But we were learning. We were empowered. Our parents didn't know back then that, you know, we were given voice and choice. I just think over the years that, you know, we've been more, you know, become more teacher driven because of data and tests. Yes. And so because of that, we feel like, oh my gosh, we have to make sure that all these kids are packaged completely correctly so they can take the test. There is a lot more than test taking. I mean, if you look at my wakelet, there's a whole reading log, um, you could do a wakelet reading log. You can not just talk about a book, but you can put in videos about the book. You don't have to make those videos. You can make them. You can make a stop animation. You can make a Tinkercad uh, model and put that in your wakelet reading portfolio, but you don't have to. So let's say if I'm reading a book, I can find related videos or related memes or related images, articles, and that's my learning portfolio. I think that's where we need to go. We need to go to more portfolio work with rubrics and expectations than all of these, you know, yes, no, here's a, you know, bubble in the sh mm -hmm. question and those, you know, bubble in the answer and those kinds of things. That's how we become more creative and innovative. I agree with you. And I think it'll also prepare students even for higher education, because at least through my experience, uh, a lot of the courses, they it's portfolio based. It's not necessarily just comprehensive, like where you're just like, hey, you know, just like you said, bubble in and so on. But a lot of the coursework and especially, you know, in, in at least in the, the programs that I was in with EdTech, everything was portfolio based. And at the end, you're submitting your portfolio. You're not taking a comprehensive exam. Right. All your projects are in that portfolio. And at the end, there's an evaluation, how everything went and so on. They give you some feedback. But like you said, it, it gives them the ability I, I like what you said. You can either put videos in. They've got that choice, something mm -hmm. that is related to them where it'll trigger that memory. It'll trigger that learning and it's being internalized. You know, it, it cues them to those experiences that they can just maybe see a meme and say, oh, you know what? That meme reminds me of this that we covered in this class and this is what we learned and so on. Um, you know, because you're making that connection visually right. and now it's more of let's here's this practice handout. Let's get ready. We've got a state exam that's coming. Here's another handout. Here's right. another booklet. Right. And you kind of lose that sense of that. And then students just, they get, they get tired. You know, their, their minds just get really tired that by the time the state test comes, you know, they, they've seen so much, you know, and sometimes they may do well. Sometimes they may not do well. And the, the last thing I want is I don't want students to feel that those tests define who they are 
or right. that those tests define, you know, the learning that did take place because it, it, it's to me, you know, there's much more to just the state testing and state testing doesn't measure all aspects of student exactly. learning. Exactly. Well, well, and so you think about which subjects are given the most um, focus on in schools. It's going to be your core subjects because why? Because mm -hmm. they're mostly because they're tested. And so you have the arts and the music and the physical education and you have your libraries, yes. which are not tested, but those subjects support everything else. And those are really portfolio based. If you're going to go to college for music, you're going to have an audition or music or a dance mm -hmm. or whatever, or you're going to have a portfolio. If you're going to go for history or math, you're really not bringing in a portfolio. You're looking at scores, but it really should put, be portfolio based. That's my fear now because um, now that we've gone with this remote learning, and I'll be honest with you, my kids have not, my kids have spent so much time on their core subjects that they didn't have time to look at, you know, some of the wonderful projects that their special area teachers were we're making for them because mm -hmm. I have three kids I'm working and I have three kids that I have to um, help that I had to focus on the core only. And I feel badly about that because I looked at all the wonderful things and I wish they had, you know, had more time to do those wonderful things. And I think they would have been happier, but I had to make sure that those core subjects were completed all the time because that's mm -hmm. where the grades came from, you know, but I wish there was, you know, um, let's, let's make, interdisciplinary projects i want to see more cross connections you know uh, you and i know from our background how we can integrate technology so it becomes almost hands-on right but a lot of teachers they were thrown into this you know our last day was march 13th and you know on monday it was let's start teaching yeah. remotely now i've been teaching remotely I, I teach um, professional development. I've been teaching for like 12 years online. I've used Moodle. I've used Blackboard. Uh, you know, I've used a variety of things, but it's a lot different than teaching, you know, in class. And so maybe the high school teachers that I work with, maybe that was easier for them to transition because they're using Canvas and Google Classroom. But elementary school teachers, they are so hands-on. Yeah. And I don't know if we they really had enough training. It was very quick. And again, the equity issue. You've got kids who don't even have devices. So you have a, a wonderful librarian, Casey Boyd. She's amazing. And what she did was she started doing um, lessons on YouTube. So you wouldn't have to worry about getting into the learning management system. It was on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And there were and there were people who had TV shows because that was more accessible. So she is amazing, amazing. So, but librarians and these special areas, we we support kids' hearts. We could and and for some kids who don't like school, that's where they're coming. They're coming for the special areas. You know, if I had one child and I wasn't working, I would be playing all day long. I could not. And I feel so badly about that. So when that Makey Makey project came along and I was able to play with my kids and <laughs> learn, I was so excited. And that's what I wish it had been more of. But, you know, the teachers did what they what they could. They, You know, my, my one daughter, she got, you know, links to websites and things like that. And so she was learning. But it was when I heard my son's teacher's voice. I said, did you miss that Google Meet? He said, no, my, my, my teacher recorded uh, the, the math lesson. Mm -hmm. 
that was good because it wasn't like going to a YouTube video or anything. It was personalized. It was her voice. She yes. could say to the kids their names, you know, it, that was important, you know, and, but I wish there had been more of, you know, you're, you're reading the story. Now go make something. You know, right now I'm reading, now I actually have time to read over the summer and I've been reading The Wild Robot, which I, I read with my kids and I loved. And now we're reading The Wild Robot, uh, The Robot Escapes. And it, you look it up, there, there are a ton of activities and it's about this robot who survives in the wild. So it is perfect for um, hands-on learning. It is perfect for making connections. Take the literature give the kids choice for hands-on, give the kids some tech tools and have them make something to prove what they learned. Stop with the testing. But in remote learning, a lot of us didn't have those tools. We didn't know how to transfer that project-based learning to remote. They, we did, just didn't know how. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I don't know what the fall is gonna bring here, but I'm hoping the second time around, cause I think it's gonna happen again. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm in New York, you know, we were in the hot spot for a while. Who knows what the fall is going to look like. I hope we learned our lessons. I hope we learned the lesson that technology is not everything. Technology is a tool. You know, having kids just go on websites and answer questions is not it. It's those teachers who record their lessons and who have the Google Meets and have the morning check-ins. Those kids, I think, were happier. Yeah, I agree. And I think like you said, it's just for students, you know, school is a social area, you know, they get to see their friends, they get to see their teachers. And then, you know, being at home, um, you're not seeing you they know, were your sick friends. They're not, <laughs> not seeing their friends, they're not seeing their teachers. So when a teacher would have a meeting, I agree with you, it's like, and get to see their students, it, it's just, and then the students are all in the meet. Uh, those that can and, uh, you know, they get to see their friends and, you know, it really, um, it's it's a great way for them to, again, interact and just feel, you know, still part of the group, you know, being isolated. And one of the comments I wanted to share with that is about three weeks ago, I had Pedro Aparicio, who's an educator in uh, Mexico City, and he's a Google innovator. And his project, even before all of this took off, was uh, connected classrooms. And, you know, what he would do with his lessons is, in school, if they were going over a certain, uh, you know, let's say Spanish explorers, but then there's a school in Peru that's doing the same lesson, they would connect. So that was in school. But now what he said is now through this uh, time of remote learning, you're still able to do those things. But one of the things that he noticed was that his class got a lot closer during this time when he would have those morning check-ins because over there, he said they, they'd have to wear uniforms at school. But now here at home, they might have like a favorite T-shirt or soccer jersey or they see their right. pets. And so yes, now the they're pet. interacting. Yep. Yeah, they're interacting at a personal level of asking like, hey, you know what? I didn't know you like that team. Tell me who your favorite player is. Or, hey, do you want to share, you know, the name of, of your of your pet, you know, your mascot, things of that sort. And he said that he noticed that there was a difference in the classroom because even the parents were involved. The parents were sitting there mm. with the students as they were doing a lesson and it just became a really tight community. And so that was one of his experiences that he had over there that I thought was a positive experience that we can find those positives yes. during this time that, that I know it's difficult and a lot of teachers may feel 
unprepared and the uncertainty that we're going through. But let's not forget the students, the students that, you know, right now is the time that they need that additional support and they need that socializing. And so I think it's great that if you can just check in with them, you're definitely making their day. Right. And that, and that's why, you know, librarians and libraries are so important right now. I mean, we have, we have been on the forefront because again, at technology, when people don't know how to use technology, you know, it's funny. And I know you've know this, Alphonse, I know you know this. You try to present a tool or website that you just found and people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like a couple of months later, a year later, they're like, oh, Alfonso, did you hear about this? Yeah. 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 Uh, Do you remember that email I sent you last year? Mm -hmm. But it's people learn it at their own time when they need to learn it. Exactly. So libraries are those like those librarians are those silent heroes, you know, where we, you know, we, we're working, we do all those things, you know, and we are integrating technology and we're showing the databases, copyright, all those things. But it takes something like this to really make people realize, wow, I really did need to know that. I really did need to know about plagiarism and copyright issues and um, how to engage my students and I know online and just even can you help me um, you know uh, as Sue Kowalski is a wonderful librarian and she called herself the mad chatter and what she would do is she would just go into you know she would you know she would ask teachers would you like me to go into you know your google meet f- with you and she would monitor the chat so the teacher could teach and so she could she would monitor, and she would call herself the mad chatter and that was how she was supporting you know we you know as librarians we support everyone and it is the place of equity ebooks um print books if you need something um you know special needs or english language learners we you know the library is the hub and so librarians are the hub you know we are the yep. great connectors and sometimes people forget that because it's like you know you know, it's like, you know, that, that boyfriend, that, that guy or girl that you meet one time, you're like, oh, that's a night really nice person. But, you know, I, I want to go find someone else. You know, I'm going to go date, date a few people. Mm-hmm. And what happens? You go back to that first person and you're like, you know what? They really were a nice person. And I, I really fell in love with them. You don't realize that until you go out and there in the world and you date all those other people. And then you come back and you go, you know what? That was the person for me, and that's what the library is. We're always we're always there, we're always waiting. We're very loyal, and we're waiting for you to come back. <laughs> yeah, no, and I agree with you. That's something that's definitely important. And I know I've seen in our district that our li- our libraries are just jam packed full of kids, and so that to me is just something that is amazing because our librarians are doing an amazing job at just being able to help the students before school after school, you know, either through reading, finding books and doing all that extra learning. And, you know, to me, I've always thought the the libraries, you know, that hub, that centralized hub, that heart of the school, because it's right in the center. I mean, to me, you know, and right now when you were talking about that, I remember when I was in elementary, my librarian, Miss Ibarra, you know, and, you know, if she's listening, I don't know if she's, but (laughs) one of you shout out because she was the kindest person in the whole wide world, because like you said, she was there from the very early morning when my parents would have to drop me off very off early. She was one of the first ones there. And so my mom would say, hey, can you take care of him before? Like, oh. So I was there and I would help her shelf books. And then at the end of the day, when my parents got out really extra late to work, 
she was there, but I learned so much. And she was always, my, my fondest memories of her were that she was always mindful of everybody, gave everybody their time, um, helped everybody out. And so I think that, you know, a lot of times we, like you said, we don't realize the, the great and wonderful heart that we have within our schools and within our districts. So, I mean, I, I really love that. And so those are some of my fondest memories too, as well, you know, being in the library. Yeah, I think we really take it for granted because it's always there. But, you know, in our in our public libraries, when we had a hurricane, we had Hurricane Sandy on Long Island, mm -hmm. you know, people lost their homes. Where did you go for your internet? You went to the library. You know, after World War II, when people came back from the wars, where did you go to look for a job? You went to your local library. You learned how to write a resume. You learned about computers. Um, people, immigrants coming from other countries, where do you go to learn English? You go to the, the library. library. The library is there. It's always there and it's and it's for everyone. And I think that's what's so important. And so that that's why it really upsets me when I see that, you know, school librarians, you know, some schools are you know, firing or getting rid of their school librarians because they say, oh, well, there's no need, and especially in remote learning. Well, if you don't have the library, what are you? I'm a librarian without my library. There's a wealth of knowledge in me. And, yes. And, and, and me as a person that I can help you and I can, I can support you. Yes, that is awesome. That is a great statement. I think I'm going to definitely take that snip right there. And that'll be my preview for the podcast because that is awesome. Oh, my goodness. This has been just a wonderful, wonderful conversation, Christina. Thank you so much for being here. And guys, I, I did put the wakelet in there that Christina shared. She's sharing some great resources. I'm going to go ahead and pop this in here one more time in the chat. Also, keep in mind that you can go ahead and find her books on uh, Amazon. So I'm going to go ahead and pop that link in here also shortly. Here we go. That way you guys can go ahead and check her out and follow her on Twitter at librarian. All right. <laughs> at librarian. So pretty easy. Go ahead and follow her guys. Thank you so much for being here today, Christina. It was a pleasure meeting with you and guys, I just wanted like a talking to Christina backstage and just letting, letting her know the purpose of the show is to have great guests like Christina and all the guests that have been here on the show. But for you as our audience members, to see these guests as not only those subject matter experts that they, they are, but see them as a resource and for you to be able to connect with them. This is a world where we, we should all be connecting, being a connected educator. Like I said, be part of our PLF, our professional learning family, where we can grow together during this time. And us as teachers, educators, even other librarians that may need resources, that you can reach out to these wonderful people like Christina and all the other resources and, or excuse me, teachers and librarians that have joined us in the chat today, connect with them. They have some great ideas. And just like Christina said, they're a wealth of knowledge. They, they know how to help you with your classes. If you're doing research, you know, and not just for that in all types of areas, they can really help you and add that additional layer to your coursework. And so it's something that is amazing. So Thank you so much, Christina, for being Thank here. Thank you so much. And I had a wonderful conversation. I learned so much about you. Yo, and I learned so much about you. And, and I love that, you know, we come from similar upbringings and everything like that. And again, that's the whole purpose of the show, getting to know just some spectacular people and being able to, you know, connect you with others that may need some help 
or connect with others that maybe uh, we can learn, we can continue learning because, you know, the learning never stops. So guys, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, this show obviously is on our YouTube channel, it'll be live and it'll be there. Go ahead and give us a like on our YouTube channel. Also, we are now streaming live on four places. Of course, we've got YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, Twitch, and we're waiting for one more. We haven't heard a response back yet, and hopefully they'll let us through. But right now we're up to four locations where you can go ahead and find our shows. So go ahead and give us a like, subscribe to our channels. Uh, go ahead and look at our past interviews. We are going to be having some guests also in Spanish uh, because, again, there are a lot of Spanish-speaking educators out there that need resources during this time. And next week, we will have a special guest, which will be Q the Librarian. I know she was here in the chat today, and we're going to be talking some more library talk, chat, uh, more tech talks, and ways that we can integrate some of those resources through remote learning. So I'm really excited about that and looking forward to next week's show. So don't forget to join us, all right, every Saturday. We're here for you. We're here at your service. And if you are ever interested in, you know, joining our show and being a guest, if you have a great idea, something that is, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be something wonderful, spectacular, because sometimes you feel like, well, you know, this person was on and they shared that. No, maybe it's something that is, you know, for you, something, a project, something that's helping your immediate community, your students, and something that is, you know, like I said, people are, you're seeing some results, you know, go ahead, drop me a line, DM me, we can schedule that. And like I said, my, my uh, channel is always open for wonderful guests that want to share. And this is your platform, so you can connect with other educators as well. All right, guys. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We're signing off. And don't forget, my friends, stay techie.